This is the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Anfield. Hello and welcome to the Liverpool Blood Red podcast. Today I'm your host, Connor Dunn, and I'm joined by three wonderful journalists. Two of them young, one of them almost young. What's up there, almost not going so far? Paul Gorst, how are you? Yeah, very well, thanks, Connor. Yeah, glad to be uh, back in the office and crack man. Good, good, good. And Matt Addison, how are you? Yeah, very good. Ready to discuss another Liverpool win. So, all Absolutely good. exciting. And keep right now. I was just keeping my head down for the almost young, hoping that it was Paul <laughs> you meant. Not really. I was like, just don't say anything. <laughs> How are you? Good, yeah, thanks. Good. I'm very well too. Thanks everyone for asking. Anyway, you've had a nice week skiing. I had a week oh, really? off just in Birkenhead, so not not quite compatible, but yeah, we live the dream, don't we? Yeah, you know, <laughs> we're getting there. Anyway, the team that is living the dream is Liverpool yes. Football Club, and once again, they won. What a shock! <laughs> no, but it was quite hard fought. Hard fought. Paul Gorst, you were at the London Stadium, one of the London Stadium, Tottenham's new stadium in London, to see the one-nil victory. What did you make of it? Liverpool thought they deserved the uh, first half. Spurs were very. I mean, Mourinho sprung a bit of a surprise, didn't he, with Jafet Tanganga? I think <clears throat> is how you pronounce it, making his Premier League debut. Slotted into the back to make it a back five, and Spurs really went past it. The halfway line didn't put any pressure on Liverpool, didn't press them high or anything like that, content to let the back four have it. And as such, Liverpool ran up a nearly 75% possession in the first half, uh, which included the, the winning goal. Um, <clears throat> second half, Spurs had a little bit of a go, um, probably should have scored, shouldn't he, with Lucelso or Son. Both had great chances and, and missed. Um, Liverpool rode the luck a little bit in the last 15 minutes, shall we say, but I thought on balance, they, they deserved to win. They had two huge chances early on. Tanganga was responsible for keeping it nil-nil. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's just the sign of the times that Liverpool can go to Spurs, barely get out of second gear and come away with the three points and you're shrugging and thinking who's next because it's just a bit of a routine win in, in a strange way. Um, and that sounds strange when you think Liverpool were contesting a Champions League final against the same team six months ago. Um, team, both teams look as if they're going in opposite directions. Jose Mourinho's replaced Pochettino and there's a complete difference uh, style of play for them now that, that he seems to be trying to embed um, but I thought Liverpool were, were probably worth uh, three points Matt do you think this was a case of Liverpool not getting out of second gear and recording a routine win or do you think this as some people have suggested a Spurs and Mourinho masterclass in defence and how they're going to try and just nick it at the end I, I don't think you can call it a masterclass to be honest I just think Liverpool did generally dominate the play I think the, the chances that Spurs created it wasn't really good stuff from Tottenham to create those chances. It was more, you know, Joe Gomez gave the ball away um, a little bit sloppily at times and, and there was a few few different errors. So I think, look, nobody should have been massively surprised the way that Jose Mourinho sets up because, you know, we've all seen him so many times before against Liverpool and against other teams. But at the same time, I, I thought, as ever, as every single week, really, you just thought at some point Liverpool will, will get the job done they're not likely to concede, even though there was a couple of chances where they could have done so. And I thought generally, I think, what is it? Liverpool have got almost twice as many points, maybe twice as many points as, as Tottenham so far this season in the Premier League. And I thought, apart from one or two scary moments where Tottenham did create things, um, I thought generally Liverpool sort of showed that, that, that there is such a huge difference. And as Paul says, like it's, it's only a few months since these two were 
the top two teams in Europe contesting for a Champions League final and just so much has happened since then. Yeah, absolutely. Kiva, what did you make of Spurs? And I mean, how good were they? Do you think, as Mourinho said afterwards, the only way that Tottenham were ever going to win it was to sit back, take all the pressure, defend, defend, defend and just try and steal a couple of goals at the end? And to be fair, they did have their chances. But the tactic Mourinho probably made most famous isn't it? Park on the bus. He's done it for so long for so many top clubs in Europe. But it just felt like, I don't know, they were just so resigned to play in that back six. I thought, you know, the games where Spurs have had chances against Liverpool in the past are the games where they've come forward and played that, you know, attack on Pochettino football. But that was absent, obviously. So Liverpool, I think, just knew that. And then obviously, once we got the goal, then Spurs had to sort of come forward. And there was then some openings. And I feel like Liverpool probably should have done better going forward when there was uh, some gaps in play. Um, But... You know, I think this was the one game I was thinking, you know, everyone was like, oh, Sheffield United Wolves, like, don't mind drawing them. Even Leicester people were saying, but I knew win all them games and you can drop points here and it's OK. But to get three is just just massive for Liverpool. I think, you know, thinking the lads have both mentioned the Champions League final, you think Spurs are eventually going to get some form of revenge. Even a draw would have been, you know, a little slither of it for them. But for Liverpool to win and so coolly and by a scoreline, which has now become, you know, synonymous with champions, really. It's it's the one scoreline where if you, you win that way, you know, then we see Man City winning 6-1, absolutely obliterating Aston Villa. Liverpool don't necessarily need to do that in every game. They just need to win the games. <coughs> and how do you win your games? Just by a goal, really, isn't it? So I was really impressed with um, Liverpool and just shocked how teams keep missing these big opportunities against <laughs> us. Like, La Celso almost hits that too well, doesn't he? If he gets yeah. a slight nick, it goes in. I just think Liverpool are a team now, but they've just got something else about them. It's like a feeling, and I feel like that sort of affects the opposition and has done all season. Yeah, absolutely. Fair enough. Um, Henderson and Virgil van Dijk looked really pissed off at the end of the game, to be honest, when they were coming off the field pool. They looked like they were almost lost. Do you think they had a right to be? No, not really. Um, I think I think these are the standards that Liverpool are setting now. And, and every time we speak to the players in the mix on after the game, it doesn't matter who it is, they always seem to say the same thing, that they're never really satisfied with what they've done so far. And you can say that's fair enough because ultimately if they don't win this, this title then all this will have, will have been for, for nothing other than you know an half-decent, half-season DVD in a few years. So you can see why the, the, they do say that there is room for improvements and, and they are towing the party line. But from for us watching it, from the outside looking in, it's like where, where, where and how does this Liverpool team improve? I think if you go to Tottenham and you win 1-0 and you come away with the points... Got to be satisfied with that, no matter how it how it's done or how it's been achieved. Okay, <clears throat> Henderson is setting the standards, and and that is what all the players are adhering to, and they're not kind of letting their energy levels or performance levels drop or dip. But you you can't really grumble, can you? I mean, I I, I get where Henderson's coming from to an extent, but to be uh, particularly frustrated at full times, probably the 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 wrong emotion for me. But it doesn't matter, does it? The pool have got. Another big three points en route to the title and on they go. Yeah, no, fair enough. I mean, one person who certainly did set the standard during the game, Matt, was Ginny Wijnaldum. There's been a little bit of chatter today from former Everton player Andy Gray turned terrible pundit <laughs> Andy Gray um, that Jack Grealish is a better player than Ginny Wijnaldum, would walk into Liverpool's team, 
Talk to me about his performance against Tottenham and tell me why that is absolute rubbish. <laughs> yeah, I mean, clearly it's it's absolute nonsense. I mean, anybody who's watched Liverpool over the last few months will know just how good Gini Wijnaldum is. And I think it's massively important that he gets his, his contract situation sorted and, and Liverpool can keep him for the next few seasons as well. So, yeah, I mean, where, where do you even begin with that claim? I thought Wijnaldum was, was brilliant against Tottenham. I think sometimes... If you're not in the ground, you maybe don't appreciate quite how good he is just because of you know the, the running and the movement that he makes and the way that he holds onto the ball. The technique yeah. that he's got there is just... I've not seen anybody keep hold of the ball quite the way that he does. But, I mean, on to, uh, against Tottenham over the weekend, I don't, I don't think that was the case that you had to be there to see that. I think it was plainly obvious to, to everyone apart from Andy Gray, it seems. So, yeah, I, I wrote the story before, um, the, the quotes that he said... Uh, uh, well, they're, they're sort of typically controversial, typically Andy Gray and just absolutely not at all true. Yeah, fair enough. Um, another player that I want to talk about and it seems quite fitting that I should talk to him about you, Kiva Neil, the year of Firmino. Roberto Firmino. Yes. Unreal. I mean, you know, I sort of said that as a passing kind of joke. And I know other people, Theo wrote an article, which you'll want me to mention in August, saying this was the... He wrote year, yeah, but I think he meant season, so I'll, I'll, I'll let him off with that. Um but yeah, just phenomenal again. I think sometimes Firmino can be a player who is more frustrating than Mane and Salah to watch because I, I don't know. He is. He does do so much, like digging out the ball and running back, and you know, helping defend. And that's like why he's such a great player and so important to this Liverpool team. But sometimes I think he can try a little bit too much Samba magic, Carney, a little bit. Brazilian flicks here and there. That's what he's about. But if he loses the ball, I think fans can get quickly agitated with him. And I think the game before that, fans were calling him for him to be taken off. I've seen on social media people like, get Firmino off. But this is why you keep him on for them important moments like that. And I thought he was unlucky not to have scored um, in the first half quite early on, wasn't it? Um, yeah. He's just a magical player. And, you know, he's, how many goals has he scored now since that uh, club world? I think it's like... He's on a he's on a good run, isn't he? Yeah, well, he's he scored two there. Then the Inquisitor he scored two against Leicester, and, and he got one. Um, obviously, the winner on Saturday. Um, so he's, he's up to nine now for the season. But I think he's yet to score at Anfield, which is, is an interesting one. But if you look at his goals this season, he obviously scored two crucial goals in Qatar to beat Monterey, and then scored an extra time to beat Flamengo. Um, but his goals in the Premier League, okay, he scored two against Leicester when Liverpool won four 0 so they would have won that with, without his goals there, but. Think of Crystal Palace, Chelsea, Tottenham, and there was another one. Sheffield, uh, Crystal Palace. Think of another one. I'm trying to think who it is. There's four. He's been responsible for basically 12 points that Liverpool have accumulated away from home. Um, which, when you look back at the, the table at the end of the season, that is, is going to be massive, isn't it? Um, he doesn't score as many as Mane and Salah, but doesn't really need to, and he's he's not in the team to necessarily be the, the Harry Kane number nine or the Sergio Aguero number nine. He, he's in it to supply those two and. And chipping himself, so he's up to nine now. He's seven away from equal on last season, um, so he, he could go on and do that. I think it's remarkable because he's not the player you look to for them goals, really, is he? You look on like Paul says, the the playmaker of the th- of the three, but for him to pop up with them, obviously them numbers are incredible. You know, come the end of the season, Liverpool lost the league last season by a point, so we know how crucial every point is, and for this man to just keep popping up with. Arigi-like moments, you would yeah. say. Yeah, with very Arigi-like, yeah. wasn't it? <laughs> so, yeah, unbelievable, and may, may it long continue. Yeah, absolutely, Matt. Just on Firmino again there, 
as Paul says, he hasn't scored at Anfield yet, but he scored some really important away goals, really secured some points for Liverpool. Do you think he's concerned that he's not scored at home or do you think it's perhaps doesn't really need to and he has a different role at Anfield maybe? I think maybe in different circumstances it might be a, a bit of a concern, but, but Liverpool have won 20 out of 21 in the Premier League, so <laughs> you can't really have any complaints. A 100% record at Anfield this season just goes to show really that it doesn't make too much of a difference. Um, after the game on, on Saturday night, I saw Graeme Souness had made some comments about Sergio Aguero would, would get into Liverpool's team, but I'm not convinced that he would, just, you know, as we say, not just the goals that, that Firmino puts in, but the work, the way he fits into Liverpool's team. I don't think there's anyone quite like him in world football and, and long may his goal scoring form and, and other elements of his game continue. Yeah, fair enough. Paul, if you can have one criticism about Liverpool, do you think it's perhaps that they should go for the kill a little bit more in games? Obviously they went one up, you know, they had the shot cleared off the line by Tanganga before that. They probably should and could have killed the game off a little bit quicker, but but didn't. And then Tottenham obviously did have those two pretty big chances of Celso and Son near the end. Could have equalised, could have took, taken points away from Liverpool. Do you think that needs to change? Quite possibly. It, it's difficult. Cause if, if, you, if you look through Liverpool's results this season, there's been loads of games and they've won it by one goal. And on another day, that could those results could easily have become draws. If you look at Tottenham last, on Saturday... They had some big chances at the end, didn't they, with Lucelso and um, Son. Aurier had a decent strike that was well saved by Allison. I think they were. I, th- I think they, they backed themselves to, to to keep a clean sheet and, and shut out opponents. But at some point that might change, and, and three points could easily be frittered away to, to one when if they'd have gone for the jugular when they were on top a little bit more, then you know they, they might have been out of sight because they don't seem to be blowing teams away like they, they were a couple of years ago and obviously we see Manchester City on Sunday against Aston Villa they absolutely hammered them out of sight didn't they and Liverpool haven't had too many of those results it almost seems to be that they're conserving energy for later down the line maybe I'm not too sure but they certainly seem to back themselves when they're, they're only one goal ahead and at some stage that, that could come back to bite them but six consecutive clean sheets now probably tells you that you know they, they, they might be right to back themselves defensively yeah, fair enough, Kiva. I'll go to you with a similar question, really. Do you, and it's just what Paul said there. Do you think it is the fact that Liverpool are conserving energy, knowing when to play hard, when to take the, their chances, and knowing when to shut out games, when to conserve their energy, and you know, just playing the season rather than playing it in the games? Yeah, I think that's quite a key little phrase there, playing the season. I think Liverpool in the past and, you know, in terms of like 2013-14 and stuff, I've played, you know, occasions. We've got a big game obviously coming at the weekend, which we'll obviously get on to in Man United. And Liverpool have in the past played the occasion and not the the actual game, you know, the, the fixture. And I think it is very clever what Klopp's doing. He's saying, you know, it, it's not necessarily a tactic, you don't want to win one nil away to Spurs, really. You want to win three three nil, don't you? Just you know, settle it in the first half. Fans want that. Klopp would obviously want that. Um, but Liverpool are just winning in the ways they need to in the fixture that comes at them. So obviously, you know, the games that you know the Leicester game, for example. I think that was a game where Klopp and the team sensed we can really go out of here and we can just end their their title race. Let's do that. Let's show we're world champions. So it feels like every game is sort of a different. It has a different sort of background and a different feeling to how and obviously different opposition. So you know Liverpool knew Tottenham are going to set up in the way they 
they were, it's Mourinho, of course, they were going to play that way. I think there was about eight behind the ball <laughs> at the back line at one point. Yeah. It was just stressing me out. But <laughs> so obviously you just have to come up against it and it is important to think you look overall, like I've mentioned before, a point can be all the season is won by. So, you know, to, to go into every game with that kind of mindset of, right, we're, we're playing Tottenham now, this is how they set up. And I think Liverpool done that so well at the weekend and we're comfortable in winning 1-0. Because it gets to that point where it's like 70 minutes and you're thinking, right, they need another one. But then it gets to 80 and you're starting to think, well, they're going to shut up shop now because you can't really you can't really commit too much, can you? And it's been that way, the Sheffield United game, Wolves, um, even Brighton, you know, at Anfield. The games where, you know, it's it's getting nervy at the end, but this, they're, they're a different beast now, which we've, we've mentioned all season. And they just seem so comfortable to play whatever comes at them. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Matt, it's just what Keeper said there, you know, Liverpool seems to be comfortable winning 1-0 and obviously that Leicester game showed they can go out and dominate a side. Against Man City, I also thought they were brilliant. You know, in those big games, they lay down the markers. Do you think they've now learned how to play different teams and how to, you know, when Tottenham's out with eight men behind the ball, they learn how to break that down or when teams come at them, they know how to break that down. And what do you think it is that's taught them those lessons? I just think the way that they're drilled and, and the way that Jurgen Klopp sets them up for, for each game is... It's always a sensible approach. I mean, you think about Tottenham and the counter-attacking possibilities that they've got with Lucas and with Son. I think it was probably a sensible way to go about it against Tottenham to to not throw players forward and make it a sort of end-to-end type game. Um, I think that was probably in Mourinho's head as much as he wants to sit in and defend. If they got any sniff of a counter-attack, I think they would have tried to to do that as much as possible. So for Liverpool, it was uh, an important tactic to use really to to control the game and, and make sure they didn't get caught out of course they did on one or two occasions when they made mistakes but generally I thought they did quite well um, but yeah we've, we've seen it time and time again this season whoever they've come up against whatever sort of test they've been able to pass it and I think the big one early on in Klopp's reign was at Anfield teams tend to to sit back and and defend as Tottenham did and not really show any ambition and Liverpool would quite often struggle against those sides and for them to have found a way of just almost just remaining composed and calm and moving the ball around it's not down to, to one particular player or, or one particular strategy on a, on a particular day but I just think you always feel confident that they'll keep a clean sheet and you always feel confident that they'll score at least once and, and that's what happened on Sunday. Yeah, absolutely. Gorgeous. I know you mentioned there that Liverpool have now kept six clean sheets in a row in the Premier League, something they've not done since 2006, I think. Just how important is it that they seem to have a settled defensive partnership and how good Alisson's been coming back into form? Yeah, well, it's been, a, it's been an interesting one defensively, hasn't it? When you think Matip, was, Matip had the shirt, he was the undoubted number one alongside Van Dijk. He gets injured, Lovren comes in, uh, basically has a great run of form and you start to think, OK, well, maybe he's going to carry on being the number one. He gets injured, Joe Gomez comes in and, and does exactly the same, and now you're thinking, OK, well, maybe the long-term partnership is Gomez and Van Dijk. Um, so it's a difficult one. Liverpool weren't keeping clean sheets you know, anywhere near as regularly as, as they have been lately, early in the season. It was a question of why isn't that happening. And, you obviously uh, cast your mind back to the start of last season where they kept so many with Gomez and Van Dijk, didn't yeah, they? Well, they, they he finished last season and he was 21 clean sheets and just 22 goals conceded which yeah. is 
incredible, really. You think a team that he finished the, an entire season with the same amount of clean sheets as, as goals conceded. Um, and that largely was... Obviously, Matt had come in, didn't he, the second half of the season? He, he was fantastic. Uh, he's back in training now. He could be approaching somewhere near, near the bench for the weekend. But I don't think Joe Gomez deserves to lose his, his spot right away, I think. If you... If Gomez does, then you know what's what's the incentive for these players play well and, and you're still getting launched out as soon as the, you know the the number ones come back into into the the the, the, the fold of the setup. Yeah, yeah, you know, but, but full fitness again. So it's it's a difficult. One. I'd I'd stick with Gomez for now. I mean, I think it'll take a while before matchups up to match fitness anyway, and they're not really a position that you just chop and change anyway, is it? Like you know, you don't bring off a centre back. For the last fifteen minutes, for another one, just because you know you're trying to get minutes, it's can't really see that happening. But um, there's been no doubt that since probably, I mean, the last time he conceded in the Premier League was the Everton game, which is well over a month ago now. Um, they've only conceded in one other game since, which was against Monterey, was it? Um, so they they've just been fantastic at the back lately, and I think to kind of disrupt that in any way now would be a mistake. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Would you agree with that, Keith? Would you keep Joe Gomez in? And also ask you just a bit about Alisson, really, because I feel like he's come into really, really excellent form. And he doesn't make fingertip saves, does he? He almost catches or palms everything. I think that's down to his position. And if you yeah. just were to watch him for the whole game, he's just so intelligent. He's an intelligent goalkeeper and the best in the world because of it. He just seems to know where to be. Even that Aurier shot, because that was like that was moving. But yeah. I know, I think sometimes. You know, even to just because that was he was well struck, that wasn't it? He he just seemed to sort of, you know, wrestle it to his chest, and he makes it look easy, but it's not. This is not these aren't easy, and you know when he parries things, he parries them into the right area. It's rarely ever that he will, you know, um, parry it into the you know on Russian striker or whatever. He, I think he's just he is an unbelievable goalkeeper and I think we're just kind of like because we've got that many unbelievable players we're having such an unbelievable past couple of years you can kind of forget like individual performances like his on Saturday was just remarkable he never seems like you say to be ever caught cold or you know he just seems to know where to be and yes. you know as I say I remember Dudek coming in in his first season, he's making loads of flying fingertip saves. And I was like, oh, what a goalkeeper. He's tipping yeah. stuff over the bar around the yeah. post. But you look at Alisson, you think, actually, he's just probably in the wrong position. <laughs> just yeah, having to yeah. make, like, reflex saves. But Alisson's just totally different. He, everything he? that comes out of him, he just seems to catch. <laughs> yeah. Like, he's just there. But obviously, that's because he, he's wise and he knows. And he's got such a good relationship with, you know, his, his defence. And, you know, he doesn't seem to... Minulay had this thing where he was always barking at them and, you know, like, stop the cross. You'd always hear him at Anfield, stop the cross. And it's like, Alisson doesn't even need to say that because these players are so well drilled individually. It comes across now as a team. But, you know, he, he hardly ever... You've seen him a couple of times, I think, at the weekend, getting a bit mad, um, you know, and have a, having a bit of a go, like, you know, watch. And, you know, when, when he needs to do that, he will. But he doesn't seem like he needs to overtly shout at them or anything. We know Van Dijk likes that role a bit more. And, um, yeah, he's just a phenomenal goalkeeper who... I think has come into like now the form we saw him in at the end of last season and even or oh, last season you'd probably say obviously that injury picking up that injury in the first game of the season I think that just sort of had an impact on the defence as well we never had that like you know the solidity which we we'd had in in the year before um the season before so um on to what you said about Gomez I think it would be 
stupid really to to let him to drop him now I think that you know his confidence would be because remember the the first couple of games he came in he had some kind of ropey moments but now they're just they just seem so far behind him he just seems to be as good and in some games which was the same as this time last season when he well he got injured now hadn't he but when he started the season he was in some games playing better than Van Dijk you know Van Dijk's Running up Ballon d'Or, you know, yeah. this is the kind of play you've got in Joe Gomez, a player who can be better on his day than Van Dyke, which is, you know, I think Van Dyke helps that as well. But um, a phenomenal footballer, and I think to have Matt back will be great. And you know, if he can work his way back into the team, I'm sure he will. Um, maybe for the European game or something like that, you know, against Atletico, you might see him and then maybe a little run for him. But I just think this does seem, and all the fans have always thought this is the long-term partnership, but obviously that got curtailed last season. So now we're seeing it. You, you know, you don't want... You just want that foundation, I think, don't you? And, um, yeah, as much as I love Matip, just keep it the way it is, I think. Yeah, fair enough. And obviously we've spoken before just about how young... Joe Gomez is and how many players or how many centre-backs of that age do you see playing for a, a top European club so regularly as Gomez does but anyway we'll move on just slightly Matt um, but another small defensive player I suppose in Fabinho he's um, due back in training today I believe and just how big a boost will that be to Jurgen Klopp and that Liverpool squad? I, th- I think it's got to be a boost I just think he's a, a world-class player and probably one of, if not the best, in that sort of number six position that, that Jurgen Klopp plays him in. So it can only be a good thing. Obviously, as we said before, Liverpool haven't particularly struggled without him, but to have him in, it, it can only be a good thing. And it can mean Jordan Henderson moving forward again. I think Henderson's done really well in, in that position. I think he's covered for him more than adequately. I think he's, over the last few weeks, had you know, possibly some of the best matches that he's had for, for a long time for Liverpool. And yeah, just to to have an extra body in the midfield, obviously with with one or two other injuries elsewhere. So, I think, well, I'd imagine that Klopp will put Fabinho straight back in. But um, yeah, I'd I'd have no no worries about him being eased back in because of how well the players have done in his absence so far. Yeah, fair enough. Of course, it's pretty exciting getting someone of that caliber back fully fit and ready because he's not he's not been seen since October. Uh, November, yeah, November, the, yeah. The Napoli game, yeah, fantastic news for Liverpool. Just their injury worries are starting to ease a little bit now, aren't they? When you think of Matip and Shakiri back in training last week, <clears throat> obviously Shakiri came on at the weekend. Um, Fabinho back, and it's great to see him back. Um, he's missed thirteen games so far, which is about no, twenty-one. It's when massive. You th- when you think he's he's only been out for about five weeks. <laughs> Liverpool just had so many games last month, so. But it'd be great to have him back. Um, it doesn't look on paper as though they've missed him because um, Liverpool have pretty much won every game. Obviously, that Aston Villa Carabao Cup asterisk aside, which we, we'll just exclude for now. Um, it'd be great to have him back. As Matt says, he's a world-class defensive midfielder, um, so he'll come back into that role at some stage. And it'll be great to see him back. Um, it'll free Henderson up to move a little bit further forward alongside Wijnaldum as, as the first choice for midfield three for me. And yeah, OK... I thought when when they, they kind of said, I mean, Liverpool were quite interested with that. They don't normally, they're not normally as upfront telling you that a player's going to be out for X amount of time. Like Joe Matip, you know, he's coming up to three months out and, and you wouldn't know it if, yeah. if you're actually in club every every Friday. Uh, Liverpool come out and said he's going to be out for six to eight weeks, which I thought was an interesting way of, of doing it. Kind of got fans prepared 
for the next few weeks without him. But um, he's going to be returning to a team that are firing on all cylinders better than ever. And um, it'll be good to see him back. Yeah, absolutely. I Keep, think the, it, it, just to sorry interrupt, the interesting thing about this conversation, we've just spoke about Matip, and I think with Fabinho, he's, as soon as he's up to match fitness, he's right back in that midfield. That's like you mentioned, the calibre of player Liverpool are dealing with and Fabinho. As soon as he's fit enough, he will be in that midfield because of what a remarkable job he's done. Whereas Matip, he is that player as well, but you know, you, it's your defence and you can't really take Gomez out of there now. I think it is, it's amazing for Liverpool to have players like this where they're just going to pretty much you know, walk right back into the first team without really having to do anything you know, just on past sort of... Yeah, talent. Yeah. yeah. I was going to ask you, to be fair... You know, what, what a testament it is to this Liverpool side that they haven't actually missed a player of such high quality, such high calibre. I think that December was, you know, I think we'll talk about that forever, won't we, as being, as soon as we found out Fabinho wasn't going to be a part of it and then the injuries just slowly seemed to mount up and, you know, you thought, like, this could be just the complete, you know, unwinding of this, this Liverpool dream of winning the title, even winning the Club World Cup, but they just seem unfazed by it. I think, you know, the approach they took and saying, Matt, um, you know, uh, Fabinho's out was a really positive one because it did get, I think even the players then, you know, Jordan Henderson knew, I've got to take on this this role now and I've got to be that player and the fans kind of knew he's, he's doing this and I feel like that takes a little bit of a pressure off him in a way because we all know, you know, Fabinho is this phenomenal player and we're going to be without him. And for Liverpool to get through that period, we all knew that this team were capable of doing that and you hoped they were capable of doing that and they've shown it and, you know, tr- we're living in a truly phenomenal time to, to be involved with Liverpool and be a Liverpool fan. Yeah, absolutely. Of course, you know, you, you mentioned there that Liverpool's injury worries seem to be easing a little bit. They've got six days of rest now to Man United on Sunday. Um, just how helpful and how important will that be because it's been a long while since they've had that much time off yeah it's, if you look at December six games Liverpool probably could have played three times in, in six days um, so now to have that rest is going to be massive when you think of just how draining that period has been so Liverpool have come through that with flying colours and can now have a little bit of a rest get back to training prepare better for opposing teams for the end club rather than just recovery sessions and then, and then you're back at it against another team um, so I think that'll be helpful, particularly against a team like United, where the only team to take points off Liverpool this season, aren't they? And they, you know, we can all kind of make fun of you like about United's predicaments at the moment. But on their day, they've got top quality players who can perform a job on the counter attack, as they, they proved against Manchester City last month. Um, I thought they were excellent that day when, when they absolutely battered City, to be honest. So if they have a similar type of game plan with the players that they've got, players like Rashford and, and Martial, um, plenty of speed up top and, and quality. They can kind of form a game plan to hurt Liverpool. So I think Liverpool now have, having this rest and this opportunity to kind of brush up on United's strengths a little bit more than they might have had, you know, if the game would have came three weeks ago. I think that'll be big for, for, for the game and still fully expect Liverpool to, to beat this United team. But they do have... Uh, players who can execute that counter-attack game plan, which I think they, they will come to Anfield and try and play. Yeah, fair enough. And I, obviously, Gorsi spoke about United's predicament a little bit there, Matt, and they're obviously in the best of shape ever this season. And with that in mind, they've got a third-round replay against Wolves coming up this midweek, which they're going to play an extra game with Liverpool. And they're going to want to win that, aren't they? They're going to pretty much go all out for it. And what effect do you think that might have by Sunday? 
Yeah, um, yeah. A, a rare is it really for Liverpool to have a free week and, and their opponents not to? So it's it's quite nice to have it the other way round. And I think obviously the Premier League is is number one for Liverpool and for Manchester United this season. Obviously different targets in terms of them looking to get into the top four, Liverpool looking to win the Premier League itself. But I think the FA Cup for them has got to be a big thing as well. And the fact that it's not really for Liverpool just shows the difference between the two sides at the moment. So. I think they'll take it very seriously on Wednesday. I think it'll be interesting to see what sort of team they put out and, and how many players they do rest. But yeah, they they don't have as good a squad as Liverpool anyway. Um, with that extra game, you think it just it will help Liverpool even more. But at the same time, you don't expect Liverpool to be complacent in any way. I think on uh, on Sunday afternoon they're going to have to play at their best because I think Manchester United have, have shown so many times this season that come the big games they do produce big performances and they did that against Manchester City to, to good effect. They've done it against other teams as well and Liverpool have just got to be a little bit wary that that, that could happen again. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I know I get stick from just about everyone on Twitter when I ask this question, but I'm going to ask it again. Kiva, Liverpool are 14 points clear at the top of the Premier League. They've got a game in hand on Manchester City. Can you see anyone other than Liverpool winning this Premier League title? <laughs> No, but <laughs> it's if it was City, as I keep saying, you would be like, they've won it, it's done, it's over. Like, That's give them I'm the saying. title it's now. It's over, it's done. But I can't, like, I just can't do that. I just can't commit to it because, you know, I think of just past history and until literally that trophy is um, being paraded around this beautiful city, you, you just can't, I don't know, I just can't say Liverpool have won it because it. There's such a long way to go. You lose against United, you know, you fall into a little pattern of just something that seems so far away, like it would never happen. But I'm just not, I just can't do it. I can't commit to saying Liverpool have won it until they have. Gorsty, I'm not going to ask you to tell me have Liverpool won it. They've got by far and away the best defence in the Premier League. They've got one of the best attacks in the Premier League. They're so far clear. Can you see anyone else winning it? No. Thank you. Uh, I... I... <laughs> I tweeted um, my match verdict on Saturday and, and there's a line there which says something along the lines of it's now a case of when and not if Liverpool are going to win this Premier League title. The first comment was someone telling me to shut up. And fa- fa- fans, sh- fans should enjoy it. Fans should be, every single game that Liverpool are winning, fans should be enjoying it and making the most of it and absolutely rejoicing at this team that they're getting to watch every week. It's not their job to be saying, oh, well, nothing's won yet. That's the job of the players and it's the job of the manager. They All fans need to do is just enjoy it while it's happening and accept that this is one of the greatest teams that Liverpool have ever produced. So why not just make the absolute most of it? I can't see anyone beating Liverpool to this Premier League title now. Um, Liverpool have lost one game in, how many is it now? 50-odd yeah. easily. Um, and City need them to drop 15 points now. For me, it's not going to happen. Liverpool's name is pretty much on the title as we speak, and as I say, fans just need to enjoy it. Because if not, what are you, what are you, in, what are you supporting football teams for? For one day at the end of the season where you might win the league that you can make the most of. Let's make the most of, of every game that Liverpool are winning at the moment. I think you've got to revel in each opponent, like the Spurs game. So after that, you're reveling in that, and then you wait to revel against United. Exactly. Yeah. You can't. Yeah. You can't quite. You can't look for. I think even the players are just looking to that one game, aren't they? And that's obviously our next game, United. And the fans do that. And then that, like Saturday night, everyone, you know, people are enjoying it. And then you move on to the next one. Then I feel like it's just going to be that until it happens, really, isn't it? Like Paul says, you've, yeah. you've got to enjoy it because this is, you know, 
30 years without this sort of, you know, we've been in title races before, but we've never, ever been this far ahead. Um, so. Well, nobody in history has oh, done God, quite no. this start, have they, in any of Europe's leagues, in any league ever. Matt, what camp are you in? Yeah, um, for me, I've said it a couple of weeks ago now, I think it's finished. I think it's, it is a matter of when rather than if Liverpool pick up the title. And I said on, on last week's podcast that I think they're, they're going to break the record for the number of points. I think they are going to get over 100. I think if uh, the maximum they can get at the moment is 112. So there's more than enough room for them to drop a couple of points in, in a couple of games here and there. And You know, you, you don't want to get too carried away and start start thinking about that too soon, but... No, I mean, look, if it wasn't Liverpool, everybody would say it was done. Manchester City weren't this far ahead, I don't think, a couple of seasons ago. And they're widely regarded as being the best Premier League side there there ever was. And and they reached 100 points. So, look, if they can do it, so can Liverpool. And I don't think you should get any stick for asking this question. Because it's sort of like when you go to the match and after in pubs or whatever, that's all you hear your fans saying, is it done? You know, have we done it? They're asking each other, wanting each other to answer it. Like, have we done it? Like, I was asking my granddad at the weekend, do you think it's done, grand? You know, getting his drunken perspective. <laughs> I think you just you just want someone to say, it is, it is. But, you know, I, I'm not that person to say. Yeah, I, I keep looking at the Premier League table and, and for, for bits and pieces that we, that we write on the website, you know, you'll say how many points Liverpool are ahead of certain teams and... I always look at it and I think, no, that that can't be right. Surely that isn't true. <laughs> well, and then, they, they could go 30 ahead of Man United with a yeah. win this weekend, which wow. is truly... Yeah. joke, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. Well, I love asking that question, especially when I'm hosting, because I never have to answer it. And on that bombshell, <laughs> thank you very much for listening. I've been Connor Dunn. This has been your wonderful Bloodbread Podcast team. Join us on Friday. We'll be discussing Man United in full. Thank you very much. You've been listening to the Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.